This morning's scripture reading is Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, least by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, whom came by, in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism to no man, for those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remain, remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. Good morning. It is a blessing to be together on this Lord's Day. It is a little chilly, a little nippy out there, and so I think we are especially grateful to be in a warm room and with warm hearts, with people who love the Lord and love each other, and we are so grateful that you are here, that you are able to worship with us this morning. We have a number of visitors with us. We are especially thankful for your presence, and we hope that you can come back and join us at any opportunity that you might have in the future. This morning we are going to be continuing and concluding our annual theme and the studies of fellowship this year that we have been engaged in. And we're going to think about the Paul's statement in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 9 whenever he said that James, Cephas, talking about Peter and John, how they extended to Paul the right hand of fellowship. We're going to explore what that really means. I believe it's something that's really important to understand exactly what's going on here because in Paul's letter to the Galatians, he recounts one of the earliest and most heated debates that the church first had to deal with. And it was the question about circumcision. Were Gentiles obligated to be circumcised? Were they obligated to keep other facets and aspects of the law of Moses if they were going to be saved? That's what Paul went to Jerusalem. And as he recounts here in Galatians chapter 2, he went up to Jerusalem to deal with that question. And I want you to notice Paul's language here in Galatians chapter 2, that he leaves it as no doubt that he was on the right side. He says in verse 2, it was because of a revelation that I went up, that he was certain that what he was preaching, the gospel that he was preaching, that that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. He's, 
He's saying, I am certain that I am on solid ground here because this has been given to me by revelation. He goes on in verse 2 to say, And I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. And I don't think Paul is saying that he was considering some doubt that he could be wrong and that he needed to receive correction. What he is saying is that I wanted to make certain that we were going to be on the same page so that they did not destroy the work that I had accomplished in preaching the truth. And so he talks about these uh, brethren who had come in secretly who were trying to spy out the liberty of those who were saved and those who were bought by the blood of Christ. And he goes on and he says, we did not yield to them in verse 5 because of the truth of the Gospel. Paul is in no doubt saying that I was preaching the truth and I was standing for the truth. And so he was speaking with those who were perceived to be leaders, those men of high reputation. And he says that he wanted to speak with them to make sure that they were all in agreement. And that they were all on the same page. But Paul did not really care about their reputation per se, because perhaps their reputation was tarnished for being troublemakers if they were going to agree with these brethren who had come in secretly to spy out liberty. But after meeting with Peter, James, and John, they all come to agreement. They all come to recognize that they are all preaching and believing the same thing. And so you come to verse 9 and he says, Recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. That they came to agreement that we are preaching the same gospel. We are going to have fellowship with each other. And throughout this year, as we have been talking about the topic and issue of fellowship, fellowship is a partnership that is based upon mutual agreement, that is based upon recognizing how we agree to the same things. And we participate in the same things. And perhaps no other text of Scripture bears that out quite as well as this passage here in Galatians chapter 2. Whenever there were difference of opinions, when there was a debate that was going on, and whenever there were some brethren that were taking sides against other brethren, Paul and the leaders, the apostles, they came together and they found their agreement. They have found their fellowship. And while we should earnestly desire to have fellowship with one another, that fellowship and mutual participation is founded upon our agreement with the truth and our continued adherence to God's truth. And especially when we think about fellowship within the context of a local church, our local fellowship, we need to recognize the importance of the truth which leads to recognizing one another as brothers and sisters. And so this morning I want us to think about this idea of extending the right hand of fellowship and how it applies in our local fellowship. Many of the things that we have talked about with fellowship 
have been more about our perhaps our personal relationship with Christ, that we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with Christ, we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we have fellowship with the church. But I want us to think very much in a local sense this morning about our fellowship. Because the Greek word koinonia, where we get our English word for fellowship, is oftentimes found in a very personal relationship. In Luke chapter 5 and in verse 7, to just illustrate this point, in Luke the 5th chapter, whenever Jesus is calling His apostles to come and follow Him, in Luke chapter 5 and in verse 7, whenever we are introduced to Peter and, and John and the some of the apostles that Jesus initially called, in Luke chapter 5 and in verse 7 it says, So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. That word partners is the Greek word koinonia, where we get fellowship. It's talking about a partnership that these apostles, they had as fishermen in their business. That They were business partners. And so I think that illustrates something that's very important for us, that when we think about fellowship, it's that we are thinking about an actualized relationship with other people, with someone else. Or many people. That when we as Christians within the context of a local church in particular, when we join arm in arm, when we blend our voices together, when we are working and striving together for the truth of the gospel, then we come to realize that this is fellowship. That this is our partnership. We are partners with each other. That whenever we come together to worship, we are coming to meet with those who have a love for the Lord and have a love for the truth. And we want to continue to engage with each other. We want to continue to work with each other. That is fellowship. And so as we have addressed many of the things within this study, that it has to do with our relationship with God, we want this morning to stress our relationship within the local church. Because the New Testament was written in large part to Christians who were part of local congregations in local areas. In just several passages this morning, you can look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, or in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 2, or Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 1 1. You can look at all of those at another time, but I think 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 illustrates it very well. And all of these are the opening of Paul's letters in which he addresses, as he says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He addresses this letter to the church at Corinth, the church of God which is at Corinth, and all the saints that were members there. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, a passage I'm sure which we are familiar, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul addresses there to the church of Philippi, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. And what just these verses might illustrate to us is the point that the New Testament was written to Christians 
who are part of local congregations. Local churches developed in specific areas with a group of Christians. It's so important. I know sometimes we we might read over those introductions and we just kind of skip right over it. We don't really think about some of the implications there. But you read about Christians in the pages of the New Testament. You read about Christians who are part of a local congregation. You don't see a Christian that doesn't engage with a local congregation. You don't see that in the New Testament. What you see is that Christians in a local area, they join together to work together. And our fellowship in the local church is shared with brothers and sisters who share a like mind and a common interest. You think about what the Scriptures show about how we have a mutual faith, a like precious faith, as Peter would say in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, that we share in that together. And you think about the word koinonia, as much as we have tried to define that and come to understand that, partnership, joint participation, a sharing, those are all terms that express what is behind the notion of fellowship. And so whenever we have mutual faith, we're sharing in the same faith. We have a mutual love for the truth, Paul talks about. And how we ought to. Or how we have a mutual interest in worship and our participation in the worship assemblies that we engage in. That we all come together to blend our voices. That we all pray together. We're studying God's Word together. We are engaged in fellowship right now in a very active way. Our mutual interest in sharing the gospel. I love the picture that you read about in Acts chapter 11. In Acts the 11th chapter, with the beginning of the church at Antioch. And Antioch is one of my favorite congregations to read about in particular in the book of Acts, but throughout the pages of the New Testament because they were so incredible in how they started and their commitment to sharing the gospel. In Acts chapter 11 and in verses, and beginning in verse 19, it says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch began and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they, began, they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And just love the beginning of the church here. How they are all after the dispersion and the persecution of Saul through and killing Stephen. That they all end up coming into Antioch. The Christians that were there. The saints, they come to Antioch. And they band together because of their interest in sharing the Gospel. Isn't that fascinating? That they want to share the Gospel They want to teach others. They have a love for sharing the truth with those who are lost. 
I can think of no better reason for Christians in a local area to want to come together and work together, to worship together, to study and learn, and then work in teaching others. And you can later see, in just a few verses later down in verse 26, after Barnabas comes to Antioch, and he then uh, leaves for a brief moment to go fetch Saul of Tarsus, who had become a Christian by this point and had quit persecuting Christians. He goes in verse 26 and says, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And they had a mutual desire in learning God's Word. What a great church to model ourselves after, right? Where Christians are interested in teaching the lost and they themselves are interested in learning more about God's Word. And all of this would generate a love amongst themselves. As Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 1, in the book of 1 Peter in the first chapter, and in verse 22, Peter says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Now when we are engaged in all these activities, it is going to promote brotherly love. It's going to promote a companionship, a fellowship that we strengthen and nurture and we allow it to flourish and grow and become something that is not only unique, but something that is extremely special to us. Fellowship within the local church is so important. But whenever you think about recognizing our brothers and sisters. What I think we see in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 9, when Paul makes that statement that he extended, or that James, Cephas, and John gave to him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, what we learn from that passage is that our fellowship is first and foremost based upon Objective truth. Now we might have fellowship in, in business. We might have a someone who we go work out with who might be our workout partner. And we might have a fellowship with them in some way, if you will. But that's not a spiritual fellowship. Spiritual fellowship is based upon our agreement in the truth of the Gospel. And that's what is highlighted there in Galatians chapter 2. Is that fellowship is based upon the truth that is found in the Gospel. And what you begin to see in letters like 1 John is that there are several tests of fellowship. That are you walking in the light as he is in the light? Or in 1 John chapter 2, in 1 John chapter 2 and in verses 3 through 5, where John the apostle says, By this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, the one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
But whoever keeps His Word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. The one who says he abides in Him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That we need to walk as Christ walked. And that our fellowship is based upon keeping God's commandments. We need to be committed to following the Word of God. We need to love the brethren He talks about. And most importantly, we need to be sure that we are all in agreement about who Christ is. In our confession that we make when we become a Christian and become a child of God, it is confessing the person of Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John is saying you need to be sure that if someone is going to say they are of Christ, you need to be certain that they are of Christ. You need to test the spirits. Test what they say. Test what they believe. And he goes on, by this you know the Spirit of God. So he's going to tell us, this is how you know that every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come to the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. There are some people who deny Jesus and reject Him, and we have to be sure that we are following Christ and that we believe in Jesus, that He has come in the flesh and that He offered Himself as the sacrifice for our sins and the sins for the whole world. It's so important that we recognize that our fellowship is based upon these factors. Do we walk in the truth and the light? Are we obeying God's Word and His commandments? Are we committed to following God's Word? Do we recognize the Bible and its authority? And are we worshiping and working as a congregation in the way that God has prescribed? Do we have a love for each other as we ought to? Have we confessed Christ? Those begin to be the test of our fellowship with one another. And I believe also Jesus helps us understand that whenever we're talking about local fellowship, we are recognizing who is in Christ. Who do we have agreement with? Who are we able to partner ourselves with? Who can we join together arm in arm with. And Jesus helps us understand this a little bit as well. In Mark the third chapter, in Mark chapter 3 and in verse 35, when Jesus was teaching and the great multitudes were around Him, Jesus' family, His earthly family, His mother and His brothers and sisters were looking for Him. They were trying to come near to Him. And Jesus, what might be perceived as a little bit rude or offhand, He says, who are my mother and my brothers? And I don't think Jesus was trying to be rude. I think He was trying to convey something about the spiritual work that He came to do. Because He says in verse 34, looking about at those who were sitting around Him, He said, behold, 
my mother and my brothers. And he says in verse 35, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever is doing the will of God, that is our spiritual family. We've all probably have a sibling or a family member that we count near and dear to us. Maybe it be a parent or a grandchild or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or somebody that we know in our family that we are related by blood. And yet, because they do not faithfully follow the Lord, that we're probably not as close to them as we are to people who are in this room right now. Because there is something about the spiritual bond and our spiritual fellowship and our agreement that we have in the truth of God's Word that is able to supersede even blood relations. Whenever we're talking about our local fellowship within the church and this congregation even, we are recognizing those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who are committed to doing the will of God. The Bible is very clear that the saints of God in a local area who love the Lord and who love each other should and must be willing to work together for the sake of the truth and the Gospel. It's one of the great blessings and privileges that we have. I want us to think a little bit more about why do we have this local partnership and local fellowship within a local church? Why is that beneficial for us? And I believe it is very beneficial for us. And I think one of the things when you think about the nature of church membership, being part and joining a local church. It's something that you really don't read a whole lot about. It's something that you don't, you, you're not going to find a verse that says, thou must join a local congregation. You're not going to find that verse anywhere in the Bible. You're not going to find it anywhere. You do find an example in Acts chapter 9 after, after Saul of Tarsus was converted. Then after he began preaching Christ and he was in Damascus and he comes to Jerusalem and it says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples and he was trying to join them. He wanted to join with the disciples there in Jerusalem. I think one reason why you don't read a verse that says thou must join a local church is because it was just assumed. You don't find a Christian who isn't part of a local church. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, I love this passage. In Colossians chapter 4, I think this certainly implies local church membership. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4, and in verse 12, this is reading from the New American Standard Bible. 
He's talking about Epaphras. This is whenever Paul's making some of his closing uh, statements and, and some of the greetings he has for the church at Colossae. He says, Epaphras, who is one of your number. Think about that. Epaphras is one of your number. How does a local church have a number if there is no membership? There is a num number among the Colossians. And then you see the benefits of having a membership in the local church. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12, and just some of the statements that Paul makes here, in Romans chapter 12 and in verse 4, and five, he says, but just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so he says, recognizing that we are members of one another within the body of Christ, within the local church. And then he goes on throughout this passage and he talks about some of the blessings and the benefits that we have. In verse 10, he says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Whenever we are able to work and worship together, when we know each other, we can give preference to one another. We can look out for each other and benefit to benefit others before self. He goes on in verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Think about that. That whenever we have someone in our homes, whenever we are able to socialize together, whenever we are able to do things outside the walls of, these, of, of this church building, whenever we have people into our homes and practice hospitality, it only strengthens our relationships with one another, doesn't it? In verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's the kind of close bond that we have. That whenever things are going well in your life, we should all be excited for you. We should all be happy for you. If you get a promotion at work, if you have some good things going on, if there's an addition to your family, whether through marriage or through birth or something like that, we're excited for you, right? We share in that excitement and the joy because we have a relationship, but then sometimes things don't always go as we would like for them to in life. Maybe it's loss of a job. Maybe it's loss of a family member. We weep with you. When you hurt, we all hurt. Because of the nature of our community. One of my favorite descriptions of the local church is really the idea of community. That in a community that we are a part of, a spiritual community, it's not about living in the same neighborhood and just having that in common, it's that we have a whole lot more in common. Because we 
love each other. We care about each other. And we're interested in knowing what's going on, not to gossip about it, but that we can share in that. Being part of a local church is about building a community. And whenever we are part of a local congregation, we are part of something that is bigger than ourselves. And we can benefit from the collective wisdom and collective experience from others. You're also privileged to serve others who might need help. And while some of the quotes I'm going to put up on the screen, they're not inspired Scripture or anything of that nature. These are just quotes from other people. I do think they contain some profound thoughts and ideas that are rooted in Scripture in the benefit of community. Some people think they are in community, but they are only in proximity. True community requires commitment and openness. It is a willingness to extend yourself to encounter and know the other. I love that statement. I love how he says some people think they're in community, but they're really only in proximity to each other. Because you may or may not know your neighbor across the street in your neighborhood very well. You may have something in common just because you're in proximity to them. But it's not real community, is it? Within the church, we ought to not just be people who share a bench or a row with each other. We ought to have a sense of community here where we are committed to each other and we are open with each other and we extend ourselves to encounter and to know each other, as he says. I love that statement. Another statement. There is immense power when a group of people with similar interests gets together to work towards the same goal. That we are larger together than any one of us. And so whenever there are many of us, we can accomplish a great deal more. Or as Martin Luther King said, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Speaking about community. That when we care not just about our own interests, but when I begin to care about others and their interests, that's when you're really living. I think that's one of the great benefits of being part of a local church is that we have a community. We have a spiritual family that we are a part of. And so one of the great benefits that we have, and sometimes this might not be perceived as a benefit, but it is a benefit, is that members of the local church, we get to hold each other accountable. Because life is hard, isn't it? Life is difficult. When things begin to wear us down, when we feel like giving up and quitting, life is hard and difficult. 
And one of the greatest needs we have for being a member of the local church is to offer encouragement and support to each other. I appreciate it very much. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, some of the words that Brother Gary brought forward for our consideration about encouragement. That we encourage each other while we're here. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 23 and 24, Paul says, or the, the Hebrew writer says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now, one of the reasons that we come together is to help encourage each other to live faithfully for the Lord, to love God, to love each other, and to work for Him. It's one of the reasons that we come together. And we want to encourage each other and provoke each other to be better. We want to encourage each other to be continuing in faithfulness to God. To not give up when things get hard. Whenever we are tempted, whenever we are being challenged and pressure is being applied to us. To turn away from serving God. Part of our fellowship is encouraging each other. Because I am more concerned about you than I'm concerned about myself. And hopefully whenever you are more concerned about me than you are about yourself, we're all going to reap the benefits. It's a very beautiful picture. But even whenever someone might be struggling with their faith, whenever they step into sin, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Whenever I see a brother or sister in Christ who might step into sin, we have an obligation to go and to seek out to restore them, not to shame them, not to shun them, not to just reap and, and heap on more and more guilt or something like that. We need to be going to try to restore them, to try to bring them back. That's why James talks about those who are spiritual leaders, the elders of the church, that they are to pray with those who are in sin and seek to turn them from their sin. That you can't have that if you're not part of a local congregation, a local community of Christ. That we have an obligation to look out for each other, to hold one another accountable before the Lord. Jesus certainly taught this principle in Matthew, the 18th chapter. In Matthew, chapter 18, when Jesus was dealing with the matter of forgiveness and restoring someone and bringing them back to God. In verse 15, he's speaking about if, if two brothers have a disagreement and one sins against the other, that you should go to him in private. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother. It's about winning your brother. It's about bringing him back, restoring him. Restoring the fellowship that you have. Because whenever there is someone who sins, 
That fellowship is strained and it's torn apart. We have to be careful about it. And so with private sins, go to your brother in private. If, you, if he listens to you, if he repents, then you've gained your brother. But then Jesus says but in verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. Take others with you as witnesses to help encourage and promote restoration and reconciliation. That's the goal. That's the purpose. And if they continue to refuse to repent, then He says in verse 17, if He refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And I find it interesting here that how, is, how would these instructions be possible if these brothers weren't members of a local church? Jesus' words would have no meaning then, would they? When He says, tell it to the church. That's what I mean that oftentimes when you're reading the New Testament and you read about local church membership, it is implied. It's not directly stated in a thou shalt be a member of a local congregation somewhere. But what Jesus is trying to show us is that this pattern and instruction is never about shaming people. It's about restoration. It's about repentance. It is about fellowship and restoring each other because we love each other. We want each other to do what is right and pleasing to God. The sad reality is that sometimes those who are caught up in sin do not repent. They don't repent and they don't change from their wickedness and their sin. And we have an obligation to hold them accountable. If they make that choice and that determination to not do what is right, we have another obligation to the rest of the local church to remove the sinful influences and attitudes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verses 1-7, through seven, Paul talks about a man who was having his father's wife and committing incest and how the church there was boasting about such fellowship with him. And Paul says, I have de decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes we have to practice church discipline. Delivering them over to Satan so that they might be saved. And he says, and he reminds them that your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ. Our Passover has been sacrificed. Jesus gave himself not so that we could remain in sin, but so that we could be a pure and holy people. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, in the book of 2 Thessalonians in the third chapter, Paul he again admonishes the church there at Thessalonica, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. 
Paul is very serious that whenever someone is not in keeping with the gospel, when they refuse to come back to the Lord, we are to admonish them and to separate from them. We are to publicly identify them who are refusing to behave properly. But even in the context of all this, he goes on in verse 15, yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. He hasn't quit being your brother. That relationship might be strained, it might be severed. But the reason that we do all of this is because we love them. We want them to come back to the Lord. We want restoration. That's the goal. We want to restore the one who is lost. That's our goal. That's our aim. And local church membership and fellowship with brothers and sisters who love us and who seek to protect us from sin, that is a great blessing that we have. That you are able to see and identify some things that might be a blind spot for me. Or maybe others might be able to see something in your life that is a blind spot for you. A temptation that you struggle with. And that they are able to be there as a support and as a help. And that can help you re to come back out of that sin. We're here to help each other and encourage each other from losing our place. We're here to help each other along life's journey. Fellowship is an important aspect of our walk with the Lord. Fellowship with the Lord, it defines our relationship with God and Christ. Fellowship is our joint efforts to work together work with each other and worship God together. And fellowship is something that we enjoy here in a localized sense with our local brothers and sisters who are committed to following God's Word and who help each other. Who create and give us a sense of community and who hold us accountable when we sin. Thanks be to God who has made fellowship with Him and with others possible through Jesus who gave Himself for our sins. We need to never take this fellowship for granted because it's a great privilege and a great blessing that we have attained. We need to seek continually to grow in God's grace and knowledge to continue to enjoy that sweet fellowship that we have in the body of Christ. Maybe it is that you are here this morning that you have never become a part of local fellowship of church. You're missing out on a great benefit and a great blessing. Maybe it is that you are someone who has never come to realize your fellowship with God. God has given us His Son. And His Son went to the cross and He died for you. He died for your sins so that you could have fellowship with Him.
and that you could have hope of eternal life in heaven. That is the ultimate fellowship we have. Do we have the song ready to go? Okay. I was going to encourage everyone to pull out a book if if it didn't switch over. This morning we want to encourage you to come to realize the fellowship that God has made possible through Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Have your sins washed away by coming into contact with the blood of Jesus. Come in repentance. Come in faith. We're here to help you in whatever way we possibly can. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, we encourage you to come now as we stand and as we sing.